0: Hey everybody, John Clare here. Welcome to episode 5 of the EvoFi podcast, a finance podcast for humans. Today we'll be talking about starting a small business, specifically around the legal aspects of starting a small business, featuring our friend, attorney, partner at Owen & Owen's, Sam Kaufman. Specifically today, we're going to talk about, like I said, the legal aspects of starting a small business, Not really to include the how to build a business plan or how to obtain financing, but assuming you already have a plan in place, you already have a product or service in mind, and now you need to figure out legally what is the minimum thing you have to put in place to make it an ongoing concern, and then what are some of the considerations of maybe working with a partner or partners, uh, and then some of the liability issues that you may want to think about and frame that up from the beginning. A few words about Sam Kaufman. Uh, Sam began his legal practice in 2002 with his JD from the Albany Law School of Union University. Uh, He is a native New Yorker. For those of you who will know him, that's not hard to spot. Uh, He attended the University of Richmond as an undergrad and played on the football team uh, from 1995 to 99. Uh, He retains a hardworking New York attitude in his trial work, but he's really an unassuming and totally approachable guy and well-liked local guy. Uh, His practice is a diverse practice representing business and individuals in complex litigation and real estate matters. Um, And Sam is a bit of a music fan. Uh, In addition to being named 2017, one of the best lawyers in America, Sam finds time to have a little bit of fun and uh, watch live music and and play the guitar. And in fact, right at the end of the podcast, Sam, Sam got an email where he got tickets to three shows Uh, Three live shows for Fish, so it just showed uh, his excitement and passion for music. We got to witness that. So anyway, Sam's a good guy, and we were lucky to have him here. Um, When we did our Evo 5, as you may recall, the Evo 5 questions that we do up front, we still haven't had any guests guess the song uh, in the theme of the podcast. So you'll check it out. I'm not sure how close we got. I think Sam was getting close in his mind, but the words just didn't come out. So kudos to Penny Lowbred, our producer, for guessing it when the panel was stumped. Uh, So before we get into the podcast, as usual, I have to read our disclaimer here. Uh, It's important to note that this podcast is 100% free of any tax, legal, or investment advice. Our goal here is education and to have a little fun. If you need advice in any of those areas tailored to your specific circumstances, feel free to give us a call and we'll see how we can help. With that said, here's the EvoFi team with Sam Kaufman. Hey everybody, welcome to episode five of the EvoFi podcast, a finance podcast for humans. Today we're lucky enough to have Sam Kaufman, attorney and partner at Owen & Owens to join us and talk about Starting a new business, starting a small business specifically. So the usual suspects are in the room, Dave O'Brien, Lisa Spinnick, and I'm John Clare. What's going on, everybody?
1: I, I just have a question, Sam. Do you use Esquire after your name? No. Do Do you prefer people to refer to you as Esquire? I mean, if they're so inclined, I'll I'll, I'll take it. Um, that's kind of like how you feel, like you're just taking it.
2: Yeah, like if you want sure. to
1: call me Esquire, I'll hap- I'm happy to be described that way. I've always wondered, you know, who, who actually prefers to be referred to that way as, you know, it's like you're not a squire.
2: No, but there is a villain in the cartoon uh, movie Captain Underpants, which if you, you don't have younger kids anymore, no, but I no. do, who describes himself as such and such, such and such Esquire. And I thought that was a pretty good use of the term.
0: There is there a, is there a – delineation of certain types of attorneys that are Esquire and some that aren't?
2: Well, you know, actually my understanding is, uh, to the extent anyone wants to know, is the delineation is used between a lawyer who has passed the bar and become barred. So a a lawyer who graduates but never passes the bar is a comma JD, and a lawyer who is barred can use Esquire. And I think that's why
1: there's a long history of why it's okay. used but currently that's why it's used
0: okay and it different. sounds like
1: there was a powdered wig in there somewhere a couple hundred years ago just saying yeah if right. not okay. longer that's yeah. why all those corporate guys are just jd if they're not right because they're probably Oh, ah, good not. point yeah mm-hmm. paperwork lawyer
0: that's okay. right yeah anyway what else is going on i know there's lots of news going on uh, well, in the world but to stay kind of right down the middle there's m- not much we can talk about without polarizing we uh, covered our, this
1: with our compliance team earlier there uh, are uh We can't talk about.
0: Yeah, we settled on the royal wedding. That's it. That's safe. That's what, yeah, That's old news. It is old news. Is that all we got?
1: I know nothing about that other than Meghan Markle looked lovely.
0: The Markle sparkle?
1: Never heard that before in my life.
0: Nope. I think I She's a Duchess. She's a Duchess now.
1: Okay. The Duchess of Sussex. All right. You can't wow. say that three times really fast. <laughs> what did say you it. Say? Try it, Lisa. The Duchess of Sussex. Say it three
0: times fast. I'm done. Oh. I'm so done.
1: <laughs> that's good. Okay. All right.
0: All right. Well, so, so our first segment to get the juices rolling. She probably knows an Esquire, rolling. by the way. Ball There's rolling, Esquire juices flowing. In Sussex. That's right. Is uh, something we call the Evo 5. Evo 5. Oh. That's five questions for our guest. Unrelated to the topic. To give us a sense of who you really are. And uh, there are no wrong answers. And so do you ever watch Inside the Actor Studio in your free time?
2: Yeah, James Lipton. Yeah.
0: So some of these questions come straight off his script. Great. Or Marcel Proust, if you know who that is. He, he apparently came up with this before. I don't know who so terrible. He's no. from the 19th century in France. Uh, he's a novelist. But anyway, here we go. It just. Sam, what, is your, what was your first job?
2: Camp counselor.
0: How old were you? High school?
2: No, uh, I was probably 12 years old.
0: That's pretty young to be a counselor, and then it? Wise beyond your years?
2: Uh, it was a soccer camp, and I, I had several jobs between that job and graduating high school.
0: And you're from where, New Jersey? New York. New York. So camp counselor in New York. Upstate New York?
2: No, I mean, right around uh suburbs of New York City.
0: Okay. Cool. We're, we're getting a good sampling from some of our other guests, so this is good. We're Some have never worked at all. Never,
1: even currently.
0: Yeah, right, right. We're not going to name any names, though. All right, cool. Sam, what's your favorite word?
2: That's a good question. Uh, notwithstanding. <laughs> I figured it might be. <laughs> I find lots of uses for notwithstanding. It, it's almost like a better way... To say like or so, I think it's a lawyer version. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if you're a consultant.
1: That's a $30 word.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you're a right. consultant these days or like a, a hip, sh- you know, consultant or salesperson, you have to start every sentence with the word so. Mm-hmm. Right? right. So if you're sitting in this circle, you'd say so, I think, you know, so-and-so or so, right? Um, notwithstanding, I think, is the legal equivalent. Okay. Sounds a
0: little better. I say so a lot in here, so I'm going to try and replace it with notwithstanding the entire time. And once it gets annoying, we'll edit it out.
1: But actually, our listeners can play like bingo with that.
0: It's like a drinking game.
1: Notwithstanding, every time that you say that. Got it. There you go. It's a shot.
0: What profession other than your own would you attempt if you had the chance?
2: Coach. That's like a sports coach.
0: Any particular sport? Football? Football?
2: Uh, maybe baseball would be my dream.
0: But you're a football player, right?
2: Uh, I, I did play football, but I also played baseball all the way through, uh, high school as well.
0: But you played football at University of Richmond, right? I did. What position were you?
1: I was a linebacker.
0: Okay. You guys are both spiders. You knew that though.
1: I was not a linebacker.
0: No, you're a punter. No.
1: (laughs) I, I I worked for the athletic department, (laughs) but I was not on the field.
2: He has better shoulders and knees, I'm sure, than I
0: do.
1: We might want to move on to the next question.
0: This, is the, this is the GOAT question. Do you know what a GOAT question is? Penny told me, say GOAT. Don't say what it stands for. You know what GOAT means? I know what
2: GOAT means. Okay.
0: GOAT in business, sport, or entertainment. Who's your go-to GOAT greatest of all time? In each of the categories? Just or? one. Pick one. You can answer all three if you want. but That would be the we'll lightning give round.
1: That's later. Yeah. Oh, that's a tough question. Um. And they can be living, dead. That's right.
0: Yep.
2: Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson.
0: Can't touch that one. Good. Yeah. No. So that's the first kind of historical figure. We've had sports and yeah. uh, cartoon character. And
1: people we just never heard of.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can't touch Mr. Jefferson. All right, here's, here's the multimedia Unless question. Unless
1: Hamiltonian, but okay.
0: Here's the, <laughs> here's the multimedia question. So it's a name that tune section. Now, uh, Sam's looking me at like, what in the heck? is going on here. bring it
2: bring it I love so it.
0: we try and make it in the theme of the uh of the podcast so i'm gonna play you 15 seconds or so of the song and see if you can guess it um we are having a leaderboard so far none of our previous guests got, uh, guests have guessed none correctly. of them are on
1: the leaderboard yeah
0: we have no so, leaderboard yeah. So there's a the different first. song each every time? time okay every time now you have to take your uh headphones off we'll edit the actual song in but i'm gonna play it for you and then once you think you know it let me know ready Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I know it Man Um It's not Path Pet any is it Uh Let's see
0: Similar style
2: Yeah Uh I'm trying to I'm trying to get the chorus going Hang on
0: I should know this I'm Sing a it big, out loud if you need I'm to I'm a big
2: music guy Uh huh
0: I'll give you a hint. Let's hear it. So the actual band name fits in better with the theme of this podcast as opposed to the song, which is kind of similar about someone who grows up and becomes a big star and makes it to number one. It's a musical journey, but also parlays with starting a business. Bad Company. Okay. Anybody else know? Yeah. Well, let's, let's put Sam out of his misery. He's close. Nobody knows. We just need to put all the listeners out of the mess. Penny knows. Shout it out. Shooting Star. God, Shooting God. Star. Yeah, I know the song. Shooting no. Star by Bad Company.
2: Okay. Good so, song. I'm not, not a huge bad company. Yeah.
0: Well, we were going to go with a 50 Cent song, but we figured we'd keep it, <laughs> keep it clean. So uh, anyhow, you're a good sports. I like head. that. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So uh, let's dive into the topic at hand. Um, I think we've got the ice significantly broken. So,
1: nope. Notwithstanding.
0: <laughs> thank you, Dave. Uh, Notwithstanding, uh, this topic, you know, starting a small business, as we were preparing for this, I think we're going to put out of scope for this. Let's assume you have a product or a service you want to offer, which also means you have a business plan and a marketing plan and financing.
1: And it's not stupid. Yeah, I mean,
0: it it has to be a viable business option. So we can get into some of that at the end if we have time on what is a business plan. But ultimately... You know, I wanted to focus on people who we deal with regularly. Got a going concern. Or 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 You're
1: going to have a going concern. Yeah, I mean concern.
0: people we work with and people say, "Well, how does this tie to financial planning?" And a lot of people we work with have worked really hard in a corporate job for a long time and they're like, "You know what? I'm out. I've got enough money to be financially independent and I want to do something that I've always wanted to do."
1: I have a trade secret and nobody knows. So I'm going oh, Never mind.
0: Could be, right? But they don't know where to start, right? So they've got the business plan in their head or a more formal one, but they have no idea what are the steps they need to take to make a legit business, a legal entity and all that good stuff. So I thought that's where we'd start. And I figured that's kind of in your wheelhouse anyway, since you've helped us over the years, and I'm sure you've got some good stories anyway. So.
1: And so which of the legal websites do you recommend? Is it LegalZoom or? LegalZoom is great. Yeah. And that's all you need. That's it. You can Google all your documents. You can do it yourself. That's right. Right. And we're done. Yeah. That so was to a great in. podcast. Thank you. <laughs> Tune in next week. Notwithstanding.
0: Um, so having said that, I want to get into the legal services part, right? You can work with a living, breathing attorney like yourself, or you can do deal with online legal services. But what are some of the basics that people starting a business that are non-negotiable that have to be in place from a legal perspective?
2: That's a good question. So there's various aspects of it. And you hit on the main point first, which is having, as Dave points out, a going concern and he says it can't be stupid. Unfortunately, you, you you know you don't know whether it's stupid or not. Well,
1: there uh, are a lot of really successful stupid companies. Uh, so I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, I guess
2: it's subjective. Yeah, you're G-
1: gonna be successful. It's subjective, even it's, if it's stupid.
2: Well, most you know the, most businesses, most new businesses fail, yeah. uh, and most businesses start off as uh, small businesses before they grow. And you know we're lucky because we represent. A wide range, small businesses, mid-cap, and, and really large ones. But from the startup standpoint, obviously it's going to depend on what type of business. But first thing, even before figuring out structure and you know how you're going to um, bring in equity in those things, and, and whether it be an LLC or a corporation or a partnership or business trust, is protecting your IP and protecting the product, which I think...
0: So IP is intellectual property for, IP, the, for
2: the lay people. That's right. That's your intellectual property. Those are your ideas. Um, because even before you structure, well, not, not always, but oftentimes you're going to have an idea or you're going to have a product or, or some sort of, you know, invention that you need to protect. And, uh, that is first and foremost, because if you're going out and peddling your wares, you're taking your cart and you're going door to door, trying to find people who may want to buy it, you're testing it, or you're, uh, looking for investors, you want to make sure they don't take your idea. So one of the easiest way things to do is to have a uh, what we call an NDA or non-disclosure agreement or confidentiality agreement, which essentially says, I want to talk to you about this and I want to share some th- ideas with you, but I want to make sure that I'm protected and that you're not going to take these ideas and use them.
0: To whom? So who who is, the, who is that between? What parties is that between?
2: So that would be between both people that you may want to ultimately sell the product to. It may be between you and potential business partners. Uh, you know, I might be an idea guy. I might be really good in the workshop coming up with a widget. I may need to partner with somebody who understands business, finance, those sorts of things.
0: So primarily it's between the kind of the, the potential officers of the company, people who were involved in the beginning uh, as you're putting ideas together to make sure somebody doesn't bolt. That's right. And do it on their own.
2: That's right. Okay. Because a, a really smart business guy who, who may be a bit unscrupulous may say, and I I've done this five or six times. I've started companies, mm-hmm. but I don't have the first idea how to create this widget. He does. He shared it with me. Um I may be able to take this, modify it a little bit, and just do it on my own. And if I'm the widget maker, I want to protect myself.
0: Okay. And are there are there standard things in an NDA or non disclosure agreement that are kind of boilerplate that people should be aware of if they have this type of technology? Or are they pretty standard?
2: Yeah, for the most part, they're they're fairly standard. Okay. I mean, there's obviously going to be some modifications, but they can be pretty simple. Simple is okay. typically better. Mm-hmm. And, and primarily, you want to have something that says what we're talking about here is confidential. You're not going to share it with anybody, and that you can view it. You can, you know, depending on what the deal is, uh, can test it. Can we can take it to testing facilities, whatever it might be. But you don't own any of it. It's
1: mine, and you can't share it with anybody else.
0: Okay. Dave, you so you, you,
1: you have one of these NDAs if it's not just you, if it's in place or if it is just you, then you go down to the county and you buy a business license, you know, $10, $15 or something like that. Then there's this whole litany of stuff that just seems really confusing to folks, like all these different registrations and all these different government entities that you need to notify or file something with and, you know, corporate resolutions and kind can, can of can, can you make some sense of that for people who are listening of like, what's the stuff, that kind of kit that you just have to have just to be legal? You know mm-hmm. you've got more than a lemonade stand here, and how do you make sure that it's a really legal firm?: Sure. So the, the, there's various options you
2: can have. First, there's the most basic, which doesn't require anything, which is a sole proprietor, which means you've decided for whatever reason that you don't need to have any um, separation between you and your company. You are the company. Not advisable uh, in pretty much every situation, although depending on what you're doing, uh, it, it it may be okay. Um, the reason that you would want to come up with a business entity, and we can talk about what those options are, uh, is primarily for limiting your liability. So you want to start a business, and you're going to invest, let's say, $100 to start that business, and hopefully that $100 will grow. And you want to make sure that if there's any lawsuits or if uh, if there's, let's say, your product winds up hurting people and people are suing you or there's contracts that are broken that the most anybody can get at is what's in that company. And that's your risk, not what's in your personal bank account, which you guys would obviously, I'm sure, you know, that's what you deal with is handling people's personal finances and all that wealth you're building for them. You want that protected. And you're, you'll probably advise them. I would assume to say, look, you've built up your life savings here. You've built up your college savings, whatever it might be, your house, um, let's keep that separate from your business because we don't want to put that at risk.
0: Okay. So, so should there be risk or if we want to be smart about segregating, you know, personal assets and business assets for, from a risk perspective, what are the, what are the type of entities at a high level you can counsel folks on once they've decided to, to, to at least go that route?
2: Okay. So there's three, there's various, but, but yeah. in general, there's three, you have a corporation, which is what typically people you know, traditionally would use. Uh, You have a limited liability company, which in the history of businesses is a fairly new creation, uh, which is a hybrid of a corporation, and the third option, which is a partnership. Um, And within the the realm of partnership, you can have a a, uh, registered partnership, one that you're registering with the state, or you can have one that just forms by two people getting together, what we call a de facto partnership, meaning just by you doing business with someone else, it may trigger partnership rules.
0: Is there any sort of basic kind of um, decision matrix where you could kind of give direction on, hey, this one tends to be better for these type of people, this one tends to be better for others, any sort of guidance? I know the partnership, well, let me me not answer the question, I'll let you answer. No, so the
2: the, the short answer is, in general, what we see most of the time is a limited liability company being the best option for a small business. There's certain reasons why sometimes it's not the best option. That can sometimes deal with certain tax implications. It can also deal with what the goal of your company is. Um, and sometimes you don't know. When you start a company, even with a business plan, um, you, you don't know. And, you know, the good to great model would say, you don't have to know. Some people know right away. They say, look, we're, let's just say, for example, in the pharmaceutical industry, somebody's come up with some pill that's going to solve some problem they know that their goal is they want to raise X amount of money. There's going to be various rounds of funding. And then in five, three to five years, they want to sell it. Well, in that instance, uh, again, subject to some you know, modifications, a corporations probably going to be a better structure um, because investors coming in want uh, are, are looking for the stability and the kind of, the, you know, the large body of law that comes with a corporation versus an LLC.
0: So I'm a 50-year-old, I'm a 55-year-old retiree from corporate job, and I happen to be handy. Not personally, I'm making this up, but handy with renovations. But so. The age or the handy just the handy part. Both. <laughs> yeah, All the of the above. Uh, and, and I want to start a, you know, a business on my own where I'm going to start flipping houses. Obviously, creating a separate entity right would make sense, especially if we're in the real estate business. Um, it's only going to be my wife and I forever, at least you know foreseeable future. So any sort I mean, we don't want to kill a gnat with a hammer. Yeah. Um. But kind of a corporation versus LLC in that case, does it does it matter?
2: Yeah. So initially what I would probably recommend to that, that person is an LLC. Very simple, easy to set up. Uh, the advantages to an LLC is that they're very easy to manage. Um, for $100, and we're talking about Virginia, but pretty much standard Uniform Limited Liability Company acts pretty much the same in every state. Uh, $100, you can file it with the... Uh, State Corporation Commission in Virginia, sometimes the Secretary of State, depending on where you are. And now you have an LLC. Very few rules um, in terms of what documents you need. Sometimes it's enough just to go ahead and file it, and you can have a oral agreement between the two owners, which could be enforceable. Not advisable, but enforceable. And all of the rules, or not all, most of the rules that come along with a corporation, uh, you don't have with an LLC. So it's very flexible. Okay.
0: So I've got a We talked, Dave mentioned this up front. I want, I got an idea. I got my business license. I got my name. Now I've got my legal entity structure. You hinted at the documents. So some can be kind of loose oral agreements. What are the minimum type things that you need to have if you have more than one party involved in terms of legal documents?
2: Yeah. The first thing you need is uh, what I call the handshake agreement, which is how do we want to run this company? Um, which should take place outside of the purview initially of a lawyer, I recommend that folks just come in and, and we have a discussion and say, um, if, if, if there was no legal implications, how do you want to do this? Do you want to be making uh, – do you want to be voting on everything? Do you want to not be voting on things? Do you want one of you, if it's two people, to make all the decisions? Do we want one of you to make all the decisions up to a certain level and then require both of you? So those are the things that happen, and we just want to have that discussion outside of any legal implications. <clears throat> Once those decisions are made, we're going to incorporate them into a contract. With a limited liability company, uh, that primary contract is an operating agreement, and that's that's the contract that's going to govern how this company is run.
0: Now, how is that different from a shareholder's agreement? I, obviously, if you're not a corporation you don't have a shareholder's agreement, you have an operating agreement uh, if it's an LLC, and you have both if it's a corporation, is that correct?
2: So it'd be similar. So with a corporation uh, under the Uniform Corporation Act, you're going to have bylaws, which the company must have. Bylaws are fairly standard. That's going to say, you know, you have to have a president, vice president. uh, Here's how meetings are called. Most of those things are going to be in an operating agreement. So if you think of an operating agreement as kind of a combination of your bylaws Mm -hmm. and then what would be typically in a shareholder's agreement. So in the shareholder's agreement, the primary things that folks want to talk about is, you know, management and control. Who's going to manage this from a practical standpoint? And then the other thing is uh, your buy-sell provisions or triggering events. So you want to talk about uh, what happens if one of us dies? What happens if one of us becomes disabled? What happens if one of us gets divorced? What happens to our interest in the company? Um, You know, for example, if if we were to start a company together and uh, you might really think I'm great at it, you might hate my wife and not ever want to be in business with her. Without anything written, for the most part, if I were to pass away, my wife would inherit my shares of the company, or uh, in an LLC, my membership interest, and let's just say it's fifty-fifty. You are now in business with my wife, which may or may not be a good thing. So uh, we try to anticipate as many of those things as we can to, you know, to 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 say, okay, how do you want this to look? If one of you dies, uh, what do you want to happen? And we walk through a decision tree on what should happen in those instances.
0: So. Just looking down the street here and thinking about all the businesses that exist, does every business have some form of that? I got to believe that a lot of people haven't thought that through enough to even do that. What has your experience been in terms of what you've seen out there?
2: Yeah. So a lot of them don't. A lot of them that do don't have it uh, well done. And the ones that do have it, even the ones that do have it well done, many of them don't follow what's there. And that's the other side of it is actually doing what the documents say now for most small businesses and and I'll even I even advise clients of this for most small businesses and I talk small we're talking about you know let's just say five million and below in revenue you know I mean te- technically there's you know small would be under maybe 50 million in you know some categorizations but let's just talk about your you know most businesses and I think 85% of the businesses, are considered small businesses. That's you know a lot of what's out there,
0: and that's under what five hundred million. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it depends on I'm what just you're trying to
0: figure out that classification.
2: Uh, yeah, five hundred million would be that's uh, a big company, at least mid. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you have publicly traded companies yeah. which operate differently, but let's just say you know a company that's five million. You know, you're typically your typical family size company. Um, what we tell them is, look. You want to have a structure that's easy to operate. Um, You don't want to have to have, you know, call a company meeting every time you have to go buy paperclips, Mm -hmm. right? So let's talk about, and many of these companies have operated in some aspect, even before they've done some of these documents. So how does it work? Who's better at making what types of decisions? Let's say it's a restaurant. Maybe one person is better at making the decisions on menu items. Another person might be better at making the decisions on finances, in investments or, you know, what checking account to use. So let's divide up those tasks and then let's sign these documents and hopefully put them in a drawer and never really have to look at them again. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're having to look at the documents often, you're, you're either not getting along.
0: Yeah, I got issues.
2: Or, you know, or we're not set up in an efficient way because the legal documents should not be a barrier to effectively operating the company.
0: Okay. So what else is there? I see Dave thinking over there, but I'm going to ask while he's thinking. What else is there? Now we got the business license, the operating agreement, the legal entity.
2: Yeah. So you'd form the company. Okay. Um, we'd file $100 with the SEC. Let's just say it's a limited liability company. We would draft uh, an operating agreement. We'd draft some initial resolutions, which are just, um, you know, some formalities, but make essentially initial vote of the company to enact everything. We would then, if necessary, depending on the type of business, go and get a business license from the uh, the city or county where you're operating, at least in Virginia, and um, uh, and then the next step before you operate, probably if not more important, certainly just as important, is insurance. Um, and I know you've had you know insurance folks on here before, um, but, but that you know having good insurance in place and the right insurance is the next thing that I would talk about with a client.
0: And You're talking about from a liability perspective primarily, it, right?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean. It, I, I'm of the mindset that you can rarely be overinsured or have too many different types, I and mean, you can. But yes, liability insurance. So if again, if you're a restaurant, um, you want to make sure that if somebody comes in and slips and falls, that it's covered. If somebody eats food and gets you know, poisoned, uh, or at least alleges to be poisoned, you want to make sure that there's coverage. So those things are very, very important.
1: Okay. And so how many of these things are mandated by law, like you're, you're doing something illegal if you don't have these things in place, and how many of these things are just good business practices so that you don't get tripped up by unforeseen consequences?
2: Most of the things we're talking about are good business practices. They're not required by, so for example, the Limited Liability Company Act requires very little. Um, it, so what we're talking about, for example, an operating agreement is not required. You can form an LLC and have no agreement whatsoever, um, but so it you, would be very bad You have your practice. business
1: license. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And uh,
2: now, as a practical matter, when you go to the bank to open a bank account,
1: assuming you do, they're going to want to see an
2: operating agreement.
1: <clears throat> that m- Most industries use banks. That's right. Yeah. You'd be well, surprised. There's, there's <laughs> some, some that can't access.
2: <laughs> some some right. don't. Uh, you know, when you... Uh, When you're dealing with any vendors, you know, if if you're going to, so again, let's use the restaurant example, you're going to sign up on a a credit agreement with a food distributor. They're likely going to want to see uh, an operating agreement so they know, okay, when they deal with Sam, Sam has authority to sign this contract. So they know that I'm not just some employee pretending to, you know, have authority to do it. Uh, So yeah, once we get those things set up and the, the, the next piece after the insurance is ensuring that we actually run the business as a separate organic entity. So you think about if you take a piece of paper and draw on it, you know, you, and then another circle is your entity. They need to be separate. And where a lot of folks run into trouble and where we see a lot of issues with small businesses is, you know, you have a, um, they'll start off in a good way. They'll start off saying, okay, we're going to have a separate tax ID number. That's the other thing you typically will want separate bank account. Um, and then all of a sudden, over time, you start seeing, man, you know, my personal checking account's a little short, so I'm going to pay, you know, for groceries out of the company account, or I'm going to pay for little Johnny's tuition out of the company account. Um, and that's where you can run into trouble because it could potentially implicate a, uh, a theory known as piercing the corporate veil. And and the, the primary reason of starting a company, as we talked about earlier, is to limit your liability. You think about it as putting a shield up between those two circles. So you have you, you have your entity, and then you have this force field. And that force field is pretty strong. Uh, creditors typically can't get through it. But I will tell you, they look for ways to try to get through it. And one of the ways uh, they, that they can get through it is if that company is what we call your alter ego. So if I'm, a, if I'm representing, you know, a credit card company that you've defaulted on payment, and I'm trying to find ways to collect, and your restaurant is, you know, underwater, doesn't have anything left, You've know, you sold off all of the assets, and now I'm looking for ways to collect. I'm going to look at how do you operate the company? And if I see that you're commingling funds, uh, that you're really not running it as a separate entity, I'm going to argue that, hey, this really isn't a separate company. It's just you set up as a company, and that may allow me as the creditor to get to your personal assets, and that defeats the whole purpose of a company.
1: And so assuming you do everything right, but – you know, you've got a lawn mowing business and you accidentally r- ride that mower over somebody's foot. You know, uh, is that really you? Can they get to you, even though you've got your partnership or your limited liability company set up properly? Uh, so the answer, like with most things in law, is it depends. Um, if it's
2: truly just be if, if you're working for the company and you're truly just negligent, meaning it wasn't done purposely or you know you didn't go out there intending to run over anybody then your company they can sue your company they can sue you as well but if your company is properly insured uh then you'll 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 be protected your company would essentially indemnify you as it would any other employee
0: so keep moving on here cuz i know time is moving fast i have a couple things that i want to get to one is i want to talk about some stories some maybe some specific stories that you may have where good planning has gone bad or no planning has gone bad, uh, and, and maybe you know, get some examples there. But also the question that Dave asked up front is kind of where do I get this type of help from? You know, I'm setting up my business. I don't want to overkill. We've talked about online legal services. Obviously, we know um, what type of services an actual attorney can provide. Any comment on kind of the the – you know, online legal service route. I assume it's similar to the online estate planning service route, but for folks who aren't familiar with that, even, can you give any comments on that?
2: Yeah. I, you know, so there's plenty of online services where you can, you know, that advertise LegalZoom being one and, and some other similar ones, uh, Rocket Lawyer, I think. Um, and, you know, I, I've never used them. But, you know, those, I, th- I think a lot of those sites are backed up by lawyers. And, you know, it's one of those things that, um, you know, and I can't give a percentage, but, you know, maybe five times out of 10, you, you might be fine. You might wind up with the same style of documents you get if you went to a lawyer. Um, it, but like anything else, it's the lack of personalization. So you're getting form documents for the most part. Uh, And I know, I do know a little bit about it because we have clients that come in that have set up a company through an online service and then either a problem arises or they want something more. And we review the documents and, and, you know, nine times out of 10 say, you know, this is kind of like a 44 regular and a 44 regular sometimes is perfect. Mm -hmm. But um, you probably need it either a few tweaks or even just a complete revamp and it winds up costing them more money. So, uh, you know, the type of services that we're talking about here in terms of forming a company for a small business, not very expensive, relatively speaking in the context of what it takes to start a business. Uh, you're probably looking at all in between, you know, a thousand to $2,500 roughly. If you're a typical small, if you're the lawnmower guy that's starting a business, which uh, certainly is a lot of money for somebody that's, you know, just starting out. Mm-hmm. But in the context of, of the expenses that come along with a business, it's, it's really, I think, an invaluable amount to pay.
0: And then what about, what about on an ongoing basis? Are there any sort of legal or kind of uh, statutory things that, that folks are, aside from the accounting and the payroll tax and all that stuff, but things from a legal perspective that people should be aware of?
2: Yeah, so what's good, you know, and, and it, it differs with the type of business organization you have. For example, with an LLC, it, it really just requires an annual form and the payment of, I want to say, 25 or 50 bucks each year to the State Corporation Commission. With a uh, corporation, it's a little more involved, but not much. And most states send to you a form that says, you know, fill this out and who are your directors this year. Uh, as a good practice, you would want to have a corresponding vote with minutes or most companies that are small have the lawyer just prepare a one page resolution, pretty much form based um, that we send it to our clients saying, take, take a look at this. Mm -hmm. If everything's the same sign here and and we're good to go. So the ongoing maintenance is not all that involved.
0: Okay. Okay. I'd love to get some startup stories or things that maybe in your experience, I know you can't reveal certain names or places or. Whatever, But are there tips or kind of in the context of stories that you can share that really stand out in your mind?
2: Yeah, so I have a lot of stories um, because my practice is, is somewhat unique from the standpoint of I do this side of things, you know, startup and, and the transactional side. But, but I also litigate, probably litigate more than I do on the transactional side. And that arises because I act as almost outside general counsel to a lot of companies. So my clients range from um, really, really big banks you know, you're you're I represent probably five or six of the top ten banks um, in various capacities. You know, they have lots of lawyers all around the country, um, to uh, some Fortune 500 companies, to some privately held companies that are valued in excess of two, three, four, five billion, oh. all the way down to the million dollar or hundred thousand dollar mom and pop company, okay. and uh, and and we litigate. So most lawyers now don't do both. We think it's invaluable that we that we do. So I've stood before juries and had to you know argue cases for weeks at a time um, when businesses have gone bad. So we call it a divorce. Um, you know that's typically where you see the problems. I mean, there's we can go into a million different scenarios of where companies you know nightmare stories. But the biggest nightmare story is is a business divorce, and it's really similar to any of the listeners. That know of somebody or maybe have been through a personal divorce and the emotion, the cost, the stress that comes along with it. um, I'm not going to say it's it's the same because I think that probably trumps most things, but it's pretty close because you've put your, you know, your all of your uh, promote in a lot of instances, all of your time, potentially your life savings, your effort, your sweat, your blood. You've given up, you know, you've worked late nights, missing your kids practices and stuff. Um, in in really wanting this business to take off and then not because of some external factor, which you may have anticipated, you know, like business just isn't good or people are no longer showing up at the restaurant or you got sued by a customer, but it's, it's from the inside. So now your business partner who you trusted, who you shared everything with um, is now wanting to get away or thinks you did something wrong. So again, with good planning, you can resolve a lot of those issues. So one nightmare story, for example, is a business um, that uh, it was three partners that started a business, uh, and the business grew to probably um, probably say about fifty or sixty million dollars in revenue. So it grew to be a pretty good sized business for three people to own, and their uh, Their organizational, you know, when everything, everybody was happy, they just kind of quickly signed some form documents, filed them away, never looked at them again, never revisited them at all. And, uh, and, and then all of a sudden, and they were each, each, at the beginning, all three were working, uh, roughly about the same amount, you know, different areas. One was a finance guy, one was a sales guy. And then one of the guys just decided, you know what, things are going so well, I don't really need to continue putting in all this effort. So the other two owners wound up picking up the slack. Well, they they didn't really like that, and it really wasn't fair. The problem is their operating agreement as an LLC didn't provide any mechanism to kick the person out. They each had equal vote, um, so the two couldn't even gang up on the one. The way this was structured, so essentially you have somebody who owns a third of a very successful company, and there was no mechanism to to either force that person to contribute his fair share of sweat equity or to otherwise get that person out of the company. So it resulted in a litigation that went on for probably two years at the cost of probably over half a million dollars to each of the owners. And then another nice. tab because the company had to be represented separately and uh, it resulted in the jury trial that, you know, as, you, as listeners might know, never really works out well for anybody. Just at, uh, an ex- it's an expense.
0: So was that was that a case of an operating agreement that wasn't spelled out, that didn't clarify those things effectively, or is this something that you really couldn't have specified in advance that just gets messy?
2: So there, I said so, I could have said notwithstanding. <laughs>
0: We're changing you.
2: There are, uh, the answer is, in hindsight, it's always 20 and it's hard to predict, but You want a mechanism, or at least you, if those folks had come to me early on, it was three people, at least I hope I would have asked them the question to say, how do you foresee splitting up your job duties? Is this a business where you each are going to be involved every day? And if so, how are we going to hold you accountable for those obligations? And I at least would want to have had that discussion with them. It it turns out that, and, and thankfully it was not, you know, my firm that did, it was another firm years before Uh, they never asked the question because we asked that and it it just never came up. They essentially said, we want to start a company. The lawyer that was helping them said here, this is what I think you need. They blindly signed it. And you know, for five, six, seven years, we're fine. Um, But it, it, I will tell you, it is obviously much easier to resolve those issues when everybody's getting along, just like in a marriage, you know, it's, it's much easier when, when you're first married to say, you know, I, I think I'll be the dishwasher guy. And, you know, you'll be the sweeping the floor person, and these are kind of our, you know, the way we're going to delegate our our divisions of labor and marriage. It's much more difficult to do that when you know you're you're screaming at each other. Nobody wants to
1: have that discussion. So it's really the same in a business. So either they were just proceeding down that path so fast that the attorney they worked with was like, "Okay, here are the documents," or maybe they went to a firm that wasn't specializing in starting up businesses. For people who don't know much about this, how do they define, how do they determine what law firm they should go to? What questions should people ask an attorney so that they know they're working with the right people?
2: It's a good question. So there's, there's various resources. I mean, most of the time people now get online and you can Google and there's various services that like lawyer near me. Yeah. Right. Business lawyer near me. Um, And, you know, it's hard to parse out because sometimes folks will have really good advertising, but they may not necessarily be the best choice. So I would always recommend to folks to ask, to ask, you know, typically if you're starting a business, you'll at least know someone else who's been through the process. And I would start with those people. Um, One, I think it's a good idea outside of law, obviously, just to pick people's brains and say, wow, you know. My neighbor started a really successful business, or at least what I perceived to be a successful business. Let me take him out to lunch or breakfast and just ask him, how did you do this? What process did you go through? We talked about business plans mm-hmm. before. And who did you use? Who was your CPA? Who was your financial advisor? Who was your lawyer? And, you, you know, and, and, um, and interview. You know, interview, I, we always recommend interview at least three of any professional. I think you guys probably have the same thing. Mm-hmm. If someone's asking me for a referral, if I have a conflict, let's say- I typically will give three to four names of other lawyers say, make sure you speak to each of them. And you want to build your own kind of personal board of directors for that company. You know, you want to have your team in place. So um, primarily to find them uh, by way of referral.
1: And And then you're asking like, you know, uh, is this the type of work that you do? I mean, for the average person who knows how to make widgets or whatever the business they're in, what questions are they really asking those attorneys when they're sitting down in their office? How do they know that they're finding the right folks?
2: Yeah, uh, that's a good question. So I would we'd recommend, and, and we often get asked this question of give me an example or give me examples of work that you've done. How many of these have you done before? Uh, if, you, if you can, if it's not protected by client confidentiality, you can t- tell me the other companies you've worked with. Is there any clients you have that I can call to ask them questions? Or, so you want to make sure that they've, you, you don't want it to be the first time that the lawyer's doing that type of work for sure.
1: <laughs> And you asked. I read about this in law school. That's right. Yeah, this would be to be a test case. This is going
0: to be fun. Everybody's yeah. got. To, everybody's got to have their first case. That's, That's what right. I heard before. That's right. So uh, we're kind of short on time. I have a couple of quick thoughts, but any tips or any anything that we haven't covered, Sam, that uh, you think might be worth mentioning to listeners to kind of help give them some guidance.
2: Yeah, a couple of things that I'll point out. One is a, a fairly new. Uh, we talked about the three primary business entities. Uh, corporation LLC and partnership. One that a lot of people don't use, and I'd recommend them looking into it, especially in real estate ventures is a business trust. Not every state has it. Virginia does. Uh, And it's a really effective way. Let's say you're going to start a, uh, a a real estate venture where you're going to buy multiple rental properties and you know, you're going to have seven or eight at least a business trust is a really effective way to do that in a cost effective way. Uh, as opposed to having to put each property in its own en- entity, you can use a business trust with various series, and that's an effective way. we don't need to get into the details of it, mm-hmm. but I just pointed out that that's something that the listeners might be interested in exploring
0: so so more efficient when you've got multiple properties same li- uh, legal uh, liability protection
2: same legal liability protection so uh, but but all you need to do then is essentially form one Virginia business trust, which is very similar to an LLC. And then for each property you own, you can set up a series, which is typically done by one piece of paper. That series does not need to be filed separately, but each series acts as its own, essentially separate company. Okay. So each series will be protected as if it was its own LLC. Okay. So it's an efficient way to do have heard of play.
0: that before. So. And we have lots of folks that we work with and folks around here who have multiple real estate ventures and they all have separate LLCs and different partners and all that good stuff. So that's something to look at more. What else? Anything else, Sam, that comes to mind? Obviously, we don't want to drain you of all your your knowledge, right? That's why you have a job. But uh, two minutes worth of any other advice? We might. That's uh, why
1: people tune in, right? right. It's like, let me get free advice. I'm
0: saving the hardest question for last, by the way, but I'm going to give you a chance first. So
2: back to the original thing you talked about, which I know is not necessarily uh, legal per se, but the business plan. Lots of folks go into business without without a good business plan. And I'll say, and I'll put a plug in for lawyers that um, many business lawyers are also happen to be pretty good business people. They own businesses on their own, but even if they don't, they have the benefit of working with maybe hundreds of different companies. And as we talked about today a little bit, some war stories to share. Mm -hmm. So I would encourage any of the listeners who are going to go down this road when they find that that lawyer that they're going to use, or even the CPA they're going to use, or financial advisor they're going to use, pick their brains about things that you know. You're going to the lawyer for legal advice. Take 20 minutes or a half hour, and most of the time, the lawyer will provide that advice kind of free of charge. They're not going to make it part of the bill, but work. Mm-hmm. I get excited when I talk about it, and I can say to them, "Hey, look, um, yeah, if you if you want my advice on this, you know, I had 50 clients that opened a, a similar type of business, and each of them are." are either did or should have done a traffic study. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking here at your plan and I don't see a traffic study. I think the location you have might suck. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not a legal opinion, but that's knowledge that's built up. You know, we don't ignore the business side of things. So I I would definitely encourage them to pick the brains uh, from a financial advisor standpoint. You probably have knowledge that falls outside of what you, you know, what you're getting paid to do. They should pick your brain on those
0: issues as well. That's a good tip. Like you said, people who have been in the business, you know, take them out to lunch, talk to attorneys, professionals. I think you can get a lot of information and input. So my last question, Dave, do you have a question before I ask the last one?
1: No more questions.
0: Okay, Your Honor. Doesn't that sound legalized? The defense defense question? I I know you do, so I'm going to ask it for you. Okay, good. So in that example you talked about where there there were three partners (laughs) and one was trying to get out. Um, Was that Beyonce leaving Destiny's Child? (laughs) sound awful expensive. I'm just wondering.
2: Yeah, so uh, I know you can't comment. Michelle, so we'll leave Michelle it at that. and Kelly really wanted to keep her in. Okay, um, she's but, the money. But I, I can't divulge, you know, if who
0: it my only clients are. A
1: half a million dollars. That was Understand. pretty good. That fair was, enough. That was... good,
0: good sports, Sam. Yeah, thanks very much for joining us. We appreciate it. This has been great. Thank you. Um, so real quick, uh, if you're not already a subscriber on iTunes, please subscribe on iTunes and give us a rating. Um, obviously, the more ratings, the more people we can get out there. Podbean.com or Twitter and Instagram. And you can email, email us at evo at gmail.com. Any ideas for new topics or comments for our guests or panelists, give us a shout and we'll see you again soon. Thanks, everybody.